I think that in doing this work, God has really used this to bring his truth alive to where I see his hand all the time. Welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast, where we show you how to turn your unique passion into a strategy to change the world. Here's your host, Ed Gillentine. Well, welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast. I'm your host, Ed Gillentine, and I'm here with Steve Nash, the founder and executive director of Advanced Memphis here in my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. Steve, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So whenever I talk to anybody that's serious about moving the needle on poverty in Memphis, there's always two or three people that I tell them they have to talk to, and Steve's one of them. So uh, just to give you a little bit of background on Steve, I mentioned he's the founder and the executive director of Advanced Memphis. He got his degree from the University of Memphis way back in the day. Was it the University of Memphis at that time or Memphis State? No, Memphis Memphis State. State. Yeah, go Tigers. For those of you that don't know, uh, that was back in the Penny Hardaway days. So pre-Penny, Memphis State, post-Penny U of M. Um, Steve came to Memphis via Camden, New Jersey, Phoenix. Uh, I think he told me he moved around 16 or 17 times, which breaks my record. I thought I had moved a lot. And he's been in Memphis the last 26 years. He married to the love of his life, Donna. They've got four children, three girls, and a boy. Did I miss anything critical? No, that's it. All right, brother, let's dive right in. Just kicking it off, Steve, why don't you give us the cliff note version of how Advanced Memphis came into being? Sure. Going to high school here, in uh, junior high and high school, I got involved in the city as far as volunteering with my father and also through my church. And then when I moved back this last time, I joined, my career had been in sales. And so I came back to work for a friend of mine's family business, John T. Fisher. They had the customer retention program serving the automotive industry. And so as I was working there, I also got plugged back in with Memphis Leadership Foundation. And so my wife and I joined the board of neighborhood housing opportunities. And so plugging back into volunteering When I was in college, I did Urban Young Life. Eli Morris was my club leader at Melrose. Howard Eddings was my club leader at Manassas. And so had been engaged in the city in urban ministry and wanted to get back in. So I was introducing my wife to that. At Second Press, where I go to church, the home missions department had uh, been pulled out from world missions. And as I was listening to the home mission speakers, that began to just take me on this journey from working in the private sector to now the nonprofit. And so my father wishes that he'd always started a business. My brother has done that, was employed uh, for himself. And so I was being encouraged to look at entrepreneurship. And what did not resonate with me was, you know, starting a business and growing profits exponentially over and over. But I uh, read an article by Michael Porter from Harvard about the four myths of a competitive inner city. And so I started uh, with this idea of I could start a for-profit business and turn the majority of the ownership over to residents in the neighborhood, take a minority position, and that be sustainable economic activity. That caught my attention. So I got together. Sandy Wilson encouraged me to get a board of advisors together. And we started meeting up at Bronx Bagel Bar in a room that they called the Nosh Room. And so I would have these meetings, and we were trying to put together a business plan around construction site cleanup. And so I was going to call it Subdue Inc. out of Genesis, as far as God's Word tells us to subdue the earth. And so as I was writing out that business plan, ran into some obstacles. 
And my friend Bubba Halliday was on that board of advisors, and he was also the chairman of the Streets Ministries, the board. And he says, well, why don't we start a nonprofit focused on employment and you run it? So I started interacting with that idea. Um, Elizabeth, our third daughter, was being born at this time. Uh, She arrived in February, and in May of that year, 99, we gave birth to Advanced Memphis. And so one night I was um, in bed with my wife, and she was at, Donna asked, are you sure? And so, you know, those moments, unless the Lord chooses to write it on the wall, you know, in ink, it's, it's hard to definitively say absolutely, but I did say that, you know, to the best of my ability, I believe this is where the Lord's leading us. And I also believe that if it's incorrect, that there's life after taking a risk, trying and following what you're discerning the Lord's leading you to do. So I resigned on a Friday and then started from scratch on Monday, advanced Memphis, started raising money, started building relationships. I have not stopped that. I guess, matter of fact, this month we are now 22 years old. Wow. That's amazing. Um, it would be an interesting statistic to know how many um, brand new nonprofits are still around 20 years later. So oh, congratulations. No, yeah, thanks. I have no idea. <laughs> um, tell us about 38126. Why did you pick that spot? What, what, what was the thought process that went into it? It uh, was because that's where I had a relationship. Ken Bennett, was I was volunteering there. And I was involved in their Pathways tutoring program, which still exists. And I was actually tutoring uh, Ronrico Green. And I actually, within the past week, have learned that Ronrico passed away last year. But because that's where I had relationships, that's where you know I started Advance. So it is a transitional neighborhood. And so that did not deter me. I, I recognized that on the front end, but really it was out of the relationship that I had with Streets Ministries and with Ron Rico that I said, this is where we'll, and, and Bubba Halliday being on the board, I knew other staff and volunteers at Streets. And so really, I, I guess it's out of uh, the relationship I had with Streets. Yeah, fantastic. So 38126, as I understand it, back when you guys started, was the third poorest zip code in the United States? That's correct. And so you've had de-densification as far as tearing down public housing and rebuilding it. So that statistic has changed. And we, within the past three years, have added the neighboring zip code to the south. And so really, in our city, when we talk about South Memphis, you're talking about 38126 and 38106. Okay. And so for those of you that aren't familiar with Memphis, typically, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, when we talk about South Memphis, we're typically talking about a pretty high level of poverty, educational issues, and crime, or at least we have historically. Yes, correct. Yes. If we are, if we're not number one, we're in the top three, and I know that has changed as far as where we are today, but yes. You've said a couple of uh, times that relationships have led you or guided you. Um, whether it's a relationship with an advisor or a relationship with Rodrigo, I think you said his name was. Um, I know you've had a lot of opportunities for people to ask you for advice. When somebody comes to you and says, Steve, I want to help with poverty in Memphis, or I want to have this project, do you talk to them much about their current relationships that they have in terms of how that drives them to maybe their sweet spot? I think that 
That is a good question. I don't think that I ask that. I think I am listening to what they want to do and um, trying to answer their questions and support that. So if that connects to our community, welcoming them in. If it's in another community, just listening and encouraging them on their journey. And so I think probably that comes out in their asking me to share about advance, but I don't know that that's a a specific targeted thing to to share. I think it's very important, uh, and I think it changes outcomes that a a nonprofit has. Yeah, yeah. You also mentioned volunteerism. Sound like that was really important in your life because you, even at a young age, you started volunteering and you were exposed to needs, I guess, probably a bunch of different needs. If you zoom out 45,000 foot view and you look around Memphis or the United States in terms of getting engaged in a cause, how important do you think people volunteering, just getting off the bench, go help. How important do you think that is with motivating them to, to make a deeper long-term difference? I think it's, I think it's the game changer when there's face-to-face engagement and listening Learning is reciprocal. And so reading a book, sitting in uh, church in worship and listening to a sermon or a Bible study, that is valuable. But the application, the applying it, and I think the gospel is its contrast. It's sin and grace. And so I think when we get into relationships with somebody who doesn't think like me, look like me, act like me, whether it be on a economic spectrum, whether it be on a educational spectrum or a political spectrum, there's going to be learning and growth. And it's a lot easier for me to dismiss or cancel somebody when I'm not with them. But when I am, when I walk in an athletic coach's shoes, I might change my attitude about the way that they raise their voice or yell at a player trying to get their attention. But if I, if I don't, I'm just going to find my heart in a different spot. And so I think Face-to-face personal relationships are huge. And I can, you know, attest to that from volunteers saying and being grateful and appreciative of the comment sounds something like, I hope that I was of value. I can tell you I learned a lot more than I think that I, that I gave. So the learning's reciprocal, and it's, it's real, and it's, I think it's very important. So we were talking earlier when you came in about uh, just different issues that you're wrestling with now that you've been wrestling with for years. Um, You want to try to give voice to maybe some things you've been thinking about the past week. Because one of the things that I love about you and your organization, I think it's ingrained in their culture, is this idea of constantly learning, constantly trying to get better, constantly trying to understand, uh, to use a uh, private sector term, your target audience. So Talk about some of that stuff you've been wrestling with, uh, even 20 years in, even being one of the most respected voices in Memphis in poverty, what you're still learning. One is I'm, I'm personally learning of my own poverty and brokenness. I think I have embraced a strategy of not going to the top of the mountain with somebody and not going to the bottom of the sea, but just being consistent and riding the middle. And so for me, discovering my emotions and engaging them and letting folks in. I am working on that myself, which in my marriage, I see the impact of that. 
And so as I've been doing on this personal journey, I've also started reading books about trauma, and we have started at advanced teaching biblically-based trauma healing, which, you know, that's really coming off of the world stage, and I am saying, hey, American church, we've got to engage in this, and this is really important. And so I got introduced to, you know, The Body Keeps Score, and as I've read this book, it has opened my eyes, and it's just, it's helping me fill in things like core values for advance are uh, we're all made in the image of God. And so that is, dignity is very important to us. And we're all given gifts and talents. And we are all sinners, and everything in the world is broken, and we are saved by God's unmerited grace. So I think those are very anchoring, deep, important truths to to work out and work from. And in doing that, the way that I have seen myself, I don't move toward conflict. I, I avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just whether we want to get into Enneagram and temperament, you know, it, it's it's a stated thing for me. But this discovery of looking at trauma and how much, I mean, I've seen trauma for 21 years as far as every day at work, whether it be the violence through a gun, the violence in domestic abuse, and, and I've learned about these ACE scores. And I am so grateful our city is engaging more in these adverse childhood indicators, and there are 10 of them, but it's heavily focused in our city, um, and, and not just our city, on children. And so it does begin then, and it's important to intervene and, and change that. But also, I serve adults that have very high ACE scores. And so I would just read, and I, you know, I, I don't know that you know, listeners are always excited to see hear somebody read on um, a podcast, but... I think this is important information that'll help you understand where, what I think is really absolutely that we've got to deal with, um, and that is adults learn to deal with fear, rage, and collapse, the predictable consequences of having been traumatized, poverty, unemployment, inferior schools, social isolation, widespread availability of guns and substandard housing all are breeding grounds for trauma. Trauma breeds further trauma, hurt people, hurt others. And then the author, you know, is going to be very, um, take ownership of their profession. And she says, my own professions often compounds rather than alleviates the problem. Many psychiatrists today work in assembly line offices where they see patients they hardly know for 15 minutes and then dole out pills to relieve pain, anxiety, or depression. Their message seems to be, leave it to us to fix you. Just be compliant and take these drugs and come back in three months. But be sure not to use alcohol or drugs to relieve your problems. Such shortcuts in treatment make it impossible to develop self-care and self-leadership. One tragic example of this orientation is the rampant prescription of painkillers, which now kill more people each year in the United States than guns or car accidents. I mean, there's just wow. the, the richness of this. 
and I just, um, it goes on, and if you'll give me just another second. Um, While you're looking for that, tell us the name of that book so people can look it up. The Body Keeps Score, um, and it is by, well, Bessel Van, Van Der K-O-L-K, an M-D. So, Can't be that many of those out there. <laughs> no, not, not at all. <laughs> we'll post that uh, also on our website uh, as a resource because it really is a good book, and uh, those are really important insights. Well, and I'll just end uh, with, with this where it says, as the ACE study has shown, child abuse and neglect is the single most preventable cause of mental illness, the single most common cause of drug and alcohol abuse, and a significant contributor to leading causes of death such as diabetes, heart disease, cancer, stroke, and suicide. And I guess that the contrast to this is people who feel safe and meaningfully connected with others have little reason to squander their lives doing drugs or staring numbly at television. And so what I am seeing at Advance and what we are doing is we are building relationships, we are building trust, we are listening, we are building community. And so some of these things that we do not like historically in our nation or currently in our nation, I think we've got to get into this mess and these deeper issues of listening and we've got to have some healing here. And so I think the gospel is absolutely what anchors us and and gives us hope and gives us an identity. But we've also got to realize that we're not going to medicate through pain or through drugs and alcohol. It, it, it is failing us. It has and it is. And so well put. we are trying to give expression to, to this in our work, in our classes that we teach. It's fascinating that much of your conversation has gone back to relationships, deep relationships, uh, time-consuming relationships, patient relationships, and also uh, would add uh, one of my personal pet peeves, uh, probably not going to get done on social media if you want to have true healing and uh, deep healing relationships. And Ed, not to park there at all, but that is absolutely feeding what what this trauma, mm-hmm. and it is, it is, it's just a false narrative, and it is shallow, and it is quick. It leads to misunderstanding and anger. So it is. So yes, that is um, a, a tool that um, Satan is dividing us and, and taking us into a lot of unhealth. Yeah. So you've said a bunch of things that we could go a bunch of different directions and spend, I don't know, twenty podcasts talking about. But on a practical level, because I've heard this from well-intentioned peers, what do you say to somebody that comes to you and says, I hear all of that, Steve, I read your book, but you know what, at some, people, at some point, people just got to suck it up. I mean, all of this psychobabble gibberish, I mean, you just got to suck it up and bootstrap it, or some version of that that I know you've heard. What do you say to that? Well, I really would, you know, listen. And I think if I, if the individual would, um, you know, sit and and talk, I think we would find in their life they had folks that poured into them, 
whether it be a volunteer through their church's youth or a coach or parents or grandparents, there were resources. So I think if we give an honest evaluation in, in our life, we're going to see that there are differences in environments. There are differences in the starting line. I mean, my starting line is very different than others. To I mean, it is, you know, my parents are still living, but so to have grown up in a home, you know, as far as a nuclear home where mom and dad came home every night and not being in a home with where I saw drugs or alcohol or physical abuse, I mean, whether whatever your ethnicity or income, that is not what everybody has. And so these things impact a child, you know, being raised in that environment. Mm-hmm. And that's just a mercy and a grace that God has brought into my life that I don't deserve, but that's my reality. So I right. I think we need to have some humility and some understanding. And, and I think when we are making that statement, we are also crying out because we want something mm-hmm. that is being interrupted. So in the sense of, you know, grab your bootstraps and suck it up and go, a question that comes into my mind is what's what's threatening your world? So is, is, right. is your world, are you not able to get something that, that you want because others are not doing that? And so that's going to push back to the gospel and it's going to push us to Matthew and uh, as a Christian man, you know, as far as, you know, serving. I mean, I mean, am I mm-hmm. here to serve myself or am I here to, you know, serve others? That's, that's really good. Um, I'm going to move on because I could spend a long time there because uh, I think it is a, a big issue in our country. I, I never, uh, I'll never forget hearing Warren Buffett speak one time and he said, you know what, guys, he was born, I think he's born in the 40s. He's old now. Right. He said, uh, I, I think he called it the DNA lottery or something. He said, uh, most of my success is due to the fact that I was born in the United States of America as a white male in my period, right? And uh, that goes full in the face of the whole bootstrap thing. I ask people a lot of times, what if you don't have any bootstraps to pull up on? And I think that's very real. So I, I appreciate you delving into that. We'll have you come back and talk about that, along with about 10 other things. Talk about, um, if you could, what is poverty? Like when you try to define poverty, what, how do you try to approach that? Um, it's more than just economic. I think right. there is spiritual poverty. I think there is emotional poverty. I think there is relational. You know, to get into Brian Fickert and Steve Corbett's book and the poverty, having these different categories as far as the brokenness in relationship with God, with self, with others, and with creation. So I'm going to have a broader definition than. I have $10 in my pocket and you have zero. Right. So I'm going to look at it holistically mm-hmm. um, and, and, and that's going to be my you know definition because I think there's on some level the community as far as serving one another and pulling from one another and working together as a community, on some level I think the inner city does that better than mm-hmm. the suburbs. I think mm-hmm. there's much more community and life on life and sharing of resources of I have today and you don't and sharing, right. I don't see that kind of generosity and sharing and community out east in our city. 
I, see, I see the same thing in Ethiopia, so abject poverty, right? But some of the closest um, community, and anybody can walk into any hut that by any stretch of the imagination most Westerners would call abject poverty, and sure. um, they'll give them whatever they need. Um, I, I've, I've, I don't do this a lot. Um, I, I don't know if it's my uh, job that makes me maybe kind of crass when I ask, ask questions. I don't think of it that way. But I get to ask people, you know, how much money do you make and what do you want to do with it? That's, that's my job. So occasionally I'll ask people in Ethiopia or, or around the United States, um, what is poverty? And, uh, and I've asked several people in Ethiopia, do you think you're poor? Nobody has ever said yes. Part of it I know it's kind of their norm, but part of it is because there's more to poverty than $10 in your pocket. And I've noticed that poor people have relational riches, people that I would consider poor from my perspective before I met them. They have relational riches um, that I have no idea about. And I think you can see that in the Western developed world, however you want to say that, versus emerging markets, to use an economic term, term, they're just much more relational, um, which is interesting to me. Talk about dignity as it relates to work. I think God has created us to work and called us to that. So, I mean, that's by design from our creator. And so I think when we are creating and producing, it is connecting to how God has designed us. And so it feels right. And I think you know, over the years, I can't um, quote exactly, but folks that have been receiving and not working and then working and having resources and being able to get customer service and, and, and some things in their life begin to change, you know, they are proud of that. There's value. So I think we just have to go, or at least for me, I go back to I didn't create myself and God created me. And so that's how I've been designed. Mm -hmm. And so as I follow that and do that, I find dignity in that. I find Mm -hmm. being affirmed. And it also is, it's connecting to just more of God's truth in Genesis to Revelation in regards to, you know, I'm also called to work as I'm working under the Lord. And so there again, I'm being pulled out of self and I'm, Mm -hmm being pulled into a larger narrative. So I find I get to watch people be affirmed in the value and the dignity of work and and the pride that is taken in uh, work that is completed and, and being able to look back at it. And so at Advance, you know, we're not doing a lot of creating and manufacturing X. Matter of fact, we're not doing any of that. But I think when you do get to, maybe it's... Uh, even in just um, volunteers or the community, where you take some, you take, you know, part of uh, some land and you mm-hmm. plant something in it, yeah. and then you get to see that flourish, and you get to see what was created by the design, as far as maybe the way you laid out the placement of trees or of the flowers, and so there absolutely is dignity, and I, you know, I see that. Uh, being experienced by my neighbors and then, mm-hmm. you know, personally, you know, find that true in my own life and journey. It's interesting. You use the, um, the land analogy. My nine-year-old brought home his, I guess, his end-of-the-year project. Still not 100% sure what the plant is he brought home. 
I think it's uh, lima beans, um, but it has not grown. Right, exactly. But he's pretty pumped about that. And it's interesting. Um, all of my kids have grown something to a greater or lesser degree in their lives. And I think it's an instinct, going back to that design idea, that, um, that hard work and, and producing something, especially with your hands, there's something connected there. But sure. even in my job, which is kind of um, sort of esoteric, you know, there's mm-hmm. nothing really that comes out of it except maybe a piece of paper, <laughs> a, a strategic plan. It's really neat to, to stay up all night working on something, and then there it is. It, it, it comes together. Right. Um, I miss uh, – I, I got allergies. My wife says maybe I did this on purpose, but I have allergies, so I can't mow the grass anymore. And I really miss it because it's one of those things, you know, it takes you an hour to do. You get to stand back, and, and there it is. It's done. There is that sense of pride. And so I, I think that's something that just needs to be talked about more. Like, that is good. It's healthy. It's healthy to sweat. It's healthy to work hard, and it's healthy to be proud of what you've done. Sure. Um, you've talked a lot about your faith, and, and my experience with impact organizations, um, that's a big piece of it. And faith can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But talk about the influence of faith on your life and how it has uh, shaped um, Advanced Memphis and your outlook on poverty, your framework through which you view the world. So I, I grew up in the church, and I can remember being over at Don Batchelor's parents' house, sitting under a large tree having Bible study, and I have no idea what Don was teaching that day. But I can just remember, you know, thinking of, okay, Lord, I, I believe, but this just seems so distant and uh, disconnected. And so I think that in doing this work, God has really used this to bring his truth alive to where I see his hand all the time. So this has been a real gift to me to uh, do advance whether it be trusting the Lord with the financial provision for mm-hmm. the bills, whether it be the steps you know that you would say you do to recruit an incoming <clears throat> an incoming class, and so even right now at nine a.m., we'll see you know who who the Lord sends to this next class in regards to yes, we do these things, but we're also praying and realize that unless the Lord brings folks and sends them, it's not going to happen. So the application of God's truth, and you see the outworking of what's in Scripture. So whether it's our faith and finance, financial literacy class, mm-hmm. you you see folks interact with God's Word and then begin to apply it. And as far as finances and the stress of a bill not being paid, there's money and the bills paid. And so, and, the, and then, you know, for me, the expression of stewardship is it's really, it's grown for me more than I get paid and I tithe to the church. Mm-hmm. It's stewardship of these relationships. It's stewardship of property. You also see folks that come to faith in Christ and, and, their, and their heart and their life is changed. It is, it's the anchor. And it also... I think has has really been valuable in regards to the relationships that uh, God has given me. So to have, you know, relationships with even presently, which is new, but a business that's started and owned out of California where there is wealth and, and, um, 
and then also to be in a neighborhood where there is economic poverty and uh, to realize that each of these men and women all along that spectrum are made in the image of God mm-hmm. and that I can have relationships as I am engaging folks with humility and, and I'm staying connected to the fact that I am forgiven uh, and I am a you know sinner just like them. It's just, I feel like it's, um, it's everywhere and it's also what anchors me uh, mm-hmm. because if it, it gives me the principles also in how I behave in regards to loving folks that I meet and see and serving them and also in stewarding all of these resources with property and, and, and money that's entrusted to us. So you also work with a bunch of people that don't come from a faith background. Um, and there's a lot of people that don't come from a faith background that want to help, genuinely want to help. Sure. Um, what do you tell those folks um, relative to, you know, faith is a huge driver for you, may not be for another person that you're talking to, but what do you tell them in terms of getting, uh, jumping into fighting poverty or whatever the cause may be? I don't know that I have an agenda or something specific that I'm telling them. It's the expression is just, this is who we are and why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And I do not um, back away from stating that just as with our volunteers or business partners and, and neighbors that participate, we're going to invite you to explore God's truth. We're not going to tell you what to believe. And so I really think that's what happens in these relationships. And I think right now there's this this company, Dofida, a business has been sold and now we're servicing the new owners in this business. And they talk about advance and being you know, this partnership and they believe in our mission. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether yet that is the sense of your, um, it's uh, popular and and it's important in our culture that corporations are being good citizens and and Mm -hmm. community partners and a social benefit. And that's what they mean by mission or whether they're going all the way to God's truth, which is anchoring our mission and setting us on mission. And so I just, I will give answer to questions that are asked, but folks are, folks are welcome. I mean, I can, I can tell you, you know, right now doing orientation with this class that is starting today at nine, there is a a Muslim gentleman and he is welcome, you know, and in Mm -hmm. orientation, we acknowledged and affirmed that. I think there was fear as to how he would be treated or received and, Mm -hmm we are going to treat him and love him just like we do anybody else. And we've also given a clear answer as to this is going to be a faith-based curriculum. There are universal skills as far as writing a resume and resolving a conflict at work. But the foundation where this is all coming from it for us is God's word. So we're just going to listen and love folks. And there's a place for folks to um, participate as volunteers. And, and, and we'll, we'll also, depending on the volunteer role, we'll ask for, you know, a statement of faith. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to, um, in our mentoring roles, you know, right. we're going to be looking for Christian men and women in that role. But mm-hmm. someone else who wants to be involved, we will 
you know, find a place and, and you're welcome, you know, to uh, partner with us sure. in this work. Yeah. I have a colleague that is in charge of a Islamic foundation on the West Coast and, and very similar, very open, very welcoming, very loving. But when you get into those leadership positions or you get into like mentoring, they want and will only use um, devoted uh, followers of Islam. And, uh, and I can respect that and appreciate it. And they do great work, right? And so mm-hmm. I think there's an analogy there. Sure. Um, we, could, we could go on for hours and hours, but I'm going to try to wrap it up. Can you share one of your favorite success stories, if you will, at Advanced Memphis? Well, sometimes you, you feel like you can't talk about Donald again, but then uh, Donald has just transitioned and is no longer an employee at Advance. And so Donald Jenkins grew up in uh, Claiborne Homes. I met Donald 10 years ago. And matter of fact, he just recently told me he remembers coming up to, uh, you know, panhandle or to, you know, mm-hmm. hit me up in the neighborhood <laughs> for cash and I said, well, did I give it to you or not? And I think he told me, no, I didn't, which <laughs> rings probably true. Uh, but Donald's late wife, Jean, who we unfortunately buried at the beginning of the year, she encouraged her husband to go to advance, and Donald came. And I met Donald, my first memory of meeting Donald was in front of our building at like 3.30 in the morning because there was a point years ago where we had folks that would stand in line trying to get into the class. But Donald is a recovering crack addict. He has known um, Claiborne and Temple when it was a mission as home. And so that man came in and went through the um, soft skills job training class. He went out through our staffing service and was placed at um, different companies. He became a permanent employee. Donald came back and did the faith and finance class with his wife, Jean. We offer a match savings account. He saved for um, a pickup truck and bought that. He then chose to go through our small business training class called Launch to start uh, Jenkins Lawn Care, which he has done. And he wanted to do that because he enjoys that work. Uh, But he also wants to employ his family and neighbors in South Memphis. So Donald uh, goes to church in the neighborhood. Donald loves the Lord. And most of Donald's family have have come through Advanced Memphis. Um, I asked Donald to be a board member of Advanced Memphis. So Donald has been my boss. Um, (laughs) And then I asked Donald to step off the board because wanted to employ him full-time at advance as a warehouse supervisor and we did and so we have had a 10-year run together and donald has just resigned and he is now working in his lawn care business that he launched you know Mm full-time and so we are now a customer of jenkins lawn care as far as the two warehouses and the office that we own he takes care of that property. Um, and so that's been very much. And, and Donald also has used the match savings. Well, no, as, as a full-time employee of Advance, if a staff member will buy a house in our target community, we will pay $5,000 on a down payment on that house. 
and Donald did that. And uh, Donald and Jean bought that house, and Donald, as far as the timing, we will get, forgive $1,000 per year. Um, and so Donald didn't stay in the house or didn't own the house five years before not being on staff. Matter of fact, last week I took um, $2,500 that he gave uh, us in you know honoring that commitment mm-hmm. and fulfilling that. So it's just been... It's been unbelievable journey and walk with him, and God has used him in my life and staff and many, many others to teach us the gospel. Donald also was a, a man who um, got behind on um, his uh, childcare payments, mm-hmm. and he has repaid and wow. owes zero dollars, um, and he has repaid thirty-one thousand dollars, and so. Um, it That's is, amazing. um, that is a, that is a man and a, and a story of just God's goodness and faithfulness and work in his life and family. And, um, God has used Donald in a lot of folks life in our city, not only in the inner city, but out in the suburbs because he, he does work all over the city. I think I actually got to meet him at, um, Art for Jobs a couple oh, of sure. years ago. Yeah, and he was there. Uh, that's such a great story. And we're, we're out of time, so I'm going to try to wrap it up. Uh, we didn't even get to. I'm glad you brought up match savings accounts. Unbelievable, uh, from a philanthropic point of view. To me, I mean, I I can't think of anything much more amazing. Uh, it's it's to me more powerful than the IRA that got you know we got introduced back in the '70s. I think um, really a life changing thing that I don't think enough. Nonprofits have gotten mm. how that thing works and how powerful it is, and so uh, maybe we'll put that on the list of uh, the follow up, okay. the follow up interview. And uh, those of you that live in Memphis, uh, it's Jenkins Lawn Service, right? Absolutely. Give them a call; they'll take good care of you. Tell tell them Steve sent you. That sounded like a commercial, didn't it? That's like, that's fun, like a Channel Ten commercial. Um, let's wrap up, and uh, um, I always. Try to ask people three questions. Okay. So here's your three questions. Uh, same ones for everybody. One quote, one book, one person. So if you had to leave us with one quote today, what would it be? Well, it, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to be a quote, but it'll be a, uh, a passage of Scripture that I love, and that is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One book my my heart wants to say the Bible, which I think is uh, an important book in my life for sure. But I also, and, and my problem with saying this is I can't think of the title of the book, but I also, as far as the book, um, The Body Keeps Score, there's also a book that D- Dr. Diane Langberg has written, uh, Suffering, It's Suffering in the Heart of God. Those are some recent books that are are really impacting me. Good. And what was the third? The last one is one person that you would say that has significantly influenced your life. And in 30 seconds or less, tell us how and why. Um, Can't be uh, Donna. um, Yeah. She's really the only one off limits. Right. Okay. Um, Ken Bennett is, is probably who I would mention just because the dynamics of being in the neighborhood. I had a stretch with my friend where every day we would go and get coffee and a Diet Coke and a peppermint. And so his shepherding me and uh, 
sharing his relationships in Claiborne and Foot, he has made a significant impact on my life. You know, I've got high school friends that have stuck with me and given birth to advance and, as you said, Donna and family. But day to day, a man that I got to interact with daily for 10 to 15 years, it would be Ken. That's amazing. So we <laughs> finally, I learned how to make Diet Coke taste good. Do it with a peppermint? Is that, is that would, the deal? I, that's what I would have to do if I was going to get one down. <laughs> I still, I was talking to my wife the other day because we had some in the fridge. I don't know how it got there, right? Maybe we had family over. How do you consume something that has zero calories that's not water? I, you know, Listen, I don't know. Zero Coke. I don't, I don't get it. Maybe it's like that milkshake at McDonald's that tastes the same, whether it's hot, cold, one mm. minute old, three days old. It's the exact same thing. That's <laughs> a know. technological marvel to me. Um, so uh, there's a bunch of things I want to go back with, but I, back to you, and, and we'll do this later. But you talked about trauma. You talked about relationships. I really uh, loved um, what you said about volunteering and how that's a game changer. So many different things, Stephen. I appreciate you sharing your heart. Um, Where can listeners go to learn more about what you guys are doing? I know the website's advancedmemphis.org, right? Correct. But are there any uh, social media handles or anything like that that you would send people to? There is uh, Instagram and there's also Facebook and those are really the it's just the website and, and those other two. Okay. Well, I know there's a ton of information on the website, and uh, I believe there's still the video or the story that y'all put up last year from uh, the 20th anniversary or whatever that was really awesome that had some good pictures of you way back in the day and the Honda Accord, I believe. Was it 1987 or something, Honda Accord? It was, uh, yes, it was a blue, it was a Camry. Camry, but sorry. You've, you've got it. And uh, no, the website is going to have that video and then... Um, I think that's where you're going to find a place to connect with us. And I would also add that if you want to learn more about Journey to Impact, you can go to edgillantine.com. It's a great resource for impact articles, white papers, website links like Advanced Memphis and other resources that we hope will help you on your journey to impact. You can purchase the book, Journey to Impact, in print or on any major digital platform through our website or at amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com. And there's also um, previous podcasts and other interviews that we've done there. So appreciate you listening. Steve, thanks a million for coming. And until next time, enjoy your day. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find out about Journey to Impact. Until next time, embrace, build, act.